You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am Derek, one of your regular hosts, and I got my buddy Ryan here with me. Hey, Ryan. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We took a month off, but we are back to talk more Nick Cage. We are back. This week, we are talking about the 1984 film Racing with the Moon, which stars Sean Penn, Elizabeth McGovern, and Nicolas Cage. The short synopsis of the film is in 1942, California, two young men await induction into the U.S. Marines and say goodbye to their girlfriends, which is a terrible synopsis for the movie, in my opinion. But hey, what are you going to do? It's also like Nick Cage's, I think, fifth movie or something, fifth credit on IMDb. I think this is our new earliest. Is this the earliest one we've done so far? I know Cotton Club was the same year, but this one was listed before Cotton Club. Yes. Yeah. So that's right. This is the earliest one we've done so far. Very nice. Yeah. And Derek has watched it twice. (laughs) So I'm expecting a lot of very good insight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I accidentally watched this a few months ago. Um, It was a mistake. I had misremembered what movie popped up. And rather than just watch our own Wheel O' Cage, I decided to just go with my gut, which was wrong. My gut was wrong. Right. But hey, you know, what are you going to do? So what do we do? What do we do is we talk the Nicolas Cage movie. Ryan has painstakingly taken meticulous notes and we'll go through those notes. And I have my love letters to Nicolas Cage uh, notepad that I take all my notes on. So lovely. I love it. That's great. And that was not a great moment for audio listeners. But yeah, I literally have a journal that is like all romantic looking and says love letters to Nicolas Cage with his face in one of the letters. So, well, that's great. That. Yeah. I think it looks lovely. It can be found online. It so, can. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm assuming it was a gift. I don't know. <laughs> this is the first episode we're going to release any video footage from oh, just wow. in time for TikTok hair. to be taken down. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. This was your idea, buddy. Yeah, I know. I'm regretting it already (laughs) (laughs) all right so my first note on this movie is angsty sean penn very angsty because like the first scene in this movie it's like just him walking down the railroad tracks Uh uh with a cigarette lots of smoking in this movie tons of smoking but he's just yeah just walking down the railroad tracks and he runs into some kids that are like trying to crush coins you know they used to do that put coins on the track and have the train run over it and then have a smashed coin i guess mm-hmm. uh i did that in boy scouts once but then i learned you weren't supposed to do that that was actually cub scouts maybe i can't remember in my scouts career somewhere <laughs> i did do that yeah well i mean look it's 1942 there wasn't much else for those kids to do that's true yeah. and so yeah they they uh he just kind of stands there and stares at him it is an awkward freaking scene there's actually several, there's a lot of awkward <laughs> scenes in this movie. So this is the first of many. But yeah, it's a very odd scene. Yeah, it, re- it sets the tone for me. Like no one talks to anybody. The kids don't, aren't even really talking to each other. There's just lots of like looks. Everyone's looking at each other. No one's saying anything. Everything takes forever in this scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we have to watch the train approach. We have to watch the train go by. We're in suspense as to whether he's going to stay on the tracks or get off the tracks when the train comes by. This isn't the only time that happens in this movie. <laughs> so, and and then my next note, well, I had smoking as my second note because, mm-hmm. you know, I like to point that out. Uh, and then my third note was, I hope there was a point to that scene. Spoiler alert, there was not. It had no relevance to literally anything in the movie. So I think I know why it's there. So the train is important later on in the movie in two other scenes, and they had to actually restore this train for the movie. And I think they were just looking for excuses to use it because it cost them a lot of money. Maybe I do have some comments about the trains later in the movie, because I, I feel like the person that directed this, maybe or somebody on set wanted to have more significance or like tonal themes. So we can, we'll touch on that later for sure. Interesting. Um, 
So then we get a scene of this angsty guy not being so angsty and playing piano Mm -hmm. with with a teacher. Mm -hmm. And the teacher seems to be, you know, teaching until the kid starts (laughs) playing some, you know, rock and roll, evil rock and roll music or something like that. And then the teacher storms out. Oh, but not before he storms out, though, the mother who's in the kitchen, of course, because it's the 1940s, drops and breaks some dishes in the horror of her son playing some rock and roll on the piano. Sure. Devil music. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is a little heavy handed when it comes to 1940s family themes. It's true. Um, And while he's playing piano, there's a dog that's listening to him and it's very cute. We get two dogs pretty early on in this movie, which yeah. you know, would normally you know, that would be positive. And then uh, Henry is Sean Penn's character. Hopper. Yeah, Hopper. Um, he His dad confuses him with the dog. He yes. calls him the dog's name. Argus. So weird scene. Yeah, the first I guess t- it's meant to show how that how little connection that they have with him. And he's just kind of doing his own thing. I don't really know what that why they did that but i've seen this twice and both times i was like maybe he said it backwards and he's like screwing with his dad but no no nope so then he like leaves the house after this whole fiasco with the broken dishes and the rock and roll music and he goes to this place that looks like it's on the edge of like a lake or something there's like a cliff mm-hmm. and the point. they call it the, the point. point yeah they yeah. call that but uh there's a woman doing yoga or some sort of weird stretching mm-hmm. in the 40s on the edge and it just like shows her for a little while and i think he says hi or something and then moves on yeah well he he does not say hi to her he just sees her in the distance stares at her and just stares at her for there's a, a lot time. of that yeah there's, there's a lot, lot of staring. That. yeah um so but he's Rearing. on his way to his job uh-huh. one of his jobs right which is working at a bowling alley this was in the 40s before you had the pins automatically reset so you had two really jacked guys behind the pins that were constantly setting up the pins for you which and nick no go ahead go ahead nick cage is his friend that's in he's kind of a piece of shit in this movie huge just like he is in every movie almost but <laughs> uh he is he is jacked he looks good he does yeah, he's he's young, he's buff, he's you know covered in grease, and he he's dressed very much like he was in the uh, kitchen scene of um, yes. Jim Struck. Yeah, exactly. I the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, I lost my hand because I thought he was going <laughs> to lose his hand in a bowling pin accident or something. Yeah, no, he looks exactly like that. It's like that they were trying to mimic that scene in Moonstruck, basically that look. It seems um, like it. Yeah, they really liked the way he looked there. And to, to tell you how I feel about this movie, the most interesting part of the movie for me, I think, is learning how bowling alleys were handled in the 1940s before we had mechanical resets for the pins. That's that's where the movie sits for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I didn't know that's how it worked either. So oh. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so then this uh, this bowler starts slinging bowling balls at Hopper like to fuck with him and it shows him for like a split second you don't get a good look and i'm like and my next note is is that crispin glover and it is it is it is he is he's just credited as gatsby boy this is pre back to the future crispin glover same year uh i thought back to the future 84 85 uh maybe it is within a year back to the future is 85 either way crispin looks extremely different right this movie than he did in back to the future like a totally different person he looks like a star football player or something second guess myself asking if it was chris mcglover a couple times because i was like the face looks the same but he just looks very very different Mm -hmm. and back to the future was within a year of this movie so Mm -hmm. it's it's very odd yeah yeah it's a completely different character for him but he plays this total jerk who's just like while while Hopper is trying to set up the pins, he just keeps throwing the ball down the lanes, and there's no way to really stop that. And the ball's going to hit Hopper if he doesn't move out of the way. Right. So he's a huge ass. Eventually, he gets fed up with that, and uh, Hopper does, and he goes mm-hmm. and punches Crispin Glover in the face. 
breaks and his nose breaks his nose he bleeds all over his girlfriend and then nick cage goes behind him I, did you pick this up I, the second time i did i missed it the first time <laughs> he just like goes over and he's helping this his girlfriend clean up the, this other guy crispin glover's girlfriend clean off her shirt and he literally like wipes her shirt off and then he's turning to leave he like grabs her breast yep mm-hmm. like very obviously mm-hmm. and yeah. then turns away so i that have nick, scene nick sets cage up... boob grab for the next note this scene sets up two key things for me. One, it sets up the tone of Nick Cage's character, Nikki, yes. like just the Which, kind of guy so creative of a name that he is. Um, and two, it sets up the the rich, poor kind of undertones Dynamic, of the movie, yeah. right? Because Crispin Glover's character, he's the rich guy's which I guess means they don't have jobs at all or something. I don't know. And obviously Hopper and, and Nikki are, are the poor guys. So they work in the bowling alley and I, other places also, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, well, his other jo- Hopper's other job is at the cemetery where his dad works. So I don't know if he's doing that like officially or if he's just helping out his dad, that's unclear. Well, seems illegal to go over and help somebody without their job and not with their job and not get paid for it. But I mean, it was 1942. There were still laws in 1942. Yeah, but I don't know if that was covered. (laughs) Then we get Black Eye Nick Cage, which is something that's never really... They're basically setting it up like he's abused at home. Well, they say that. Yeah, his dad's been drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And But but that there's never any payoff. We never meet his parents, I don't think, or, you know... Well, his mom's dead. She died. Right. right? And so it's just the two of them. And he never wants... Remember, his whole thing is that he never wants to come back after the war he's not coming back he you know he wants to stay far away kind of thing he never wants to see his dad again so i think like there's supposed to be more to that but yeah it seems like there was they were trying to explore that a bit and yeah i guess we should mention at this point that they are both enlisted mm-hmm. to go to the war and they're both like a few weeks out yep. they're they're going in together i think as marines or yes. something like that mm-hmm. um my, my big problem though with the abusive dad piece for me is because it doesn't go anywhere it comes off to me like they're trying to make him more sympathetic for being like the horrible person he is throughout this movie well but that's nothing new they do that they have did that in a lot of his movie a lot yeah. of these movies we've watched mm-hmm. and they try and make him sympathetic so that he doesn't look like a giant piece of shit when there's probably bigger pieces of shit in the movie right you know what i mean so they try to make him slightly less bad. But so I think you're still he's the worst one. I think he's the worst one. In this one, in the one movie. I think he probably is. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, especially, yeah, by the end, you're like, I don't think there's any redeeming this guy. No. Um. So, so then he decides to go to a movie, Hopper does. Uh huh. Yeah. And there's this really awkward exchange with the ticket clerk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, at this point, I didn't know that this person was going to be a bigger role, but there's just like a really awkward exchange where he buys a ticket and just like he just like stares at her for a little bit while she's reading a book. Yeah. And then he wants one ticket and he goes in and watches. The, I don't even know if he watches the movie. He comes out and leaves a flower on the ticket desk for her and she doesn't see who it is because she's so engrossed in this book. There's a lot of like just leering or staring longingly at people without them noticing. Yeah, which I think was a thing in the 40s. I don't know. <laughs> Again, they didn't have much to do. So <laughs> then we get a scene of him walking his dog, I'm assuming like the next day. And for some reason, his dog is wearing avi- an aviator cap and goggles. It was his birthday. Right, but that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> I know, but the movie sure says that it was like the, it does. Yeah. Somebody asks why he's wearing those, and he says because it's his birthday, and then that's it. We're just supposed to believe that this dog really wanted to wear an aviator cap and goggles when it's really more probably more of a punishment yeah yeah that's that's it was cute don't get me wrong it was very adorable yeah yeah i love it but yeah it's a really just a random thing again has no significance to anything he's not going into the air force no it's all just though there isn't a real big emphasis on the planes that are yeah. being used, even though these guys are not going into the Air Force. At right. All, that he or knows being pilots yes. in any way. I don't think I have any notes about that, but yeah, he definitely does. Every time Hopper sees a plane or something above, he's he immediately knows like what plane it is and like facts about it, fun facts. Mm-hmm. If he even corrects person. Nikki at one point. Right. Right. It's so, like I don't know why he wouldn't have tried to become a pilot then. You would think it seemed like they were setting that up, then he was going to be a grunt in the Marines or whatever. So yeah. 
Very strange. So he leaves another flower on this girl's ticket thing because apparently now he's obsessed with her and is across the street eating with Nikki or just hanging out at the shop, whatever. Well, he pays a kid to leave the flower. That's what it is. Right? Yeah, now, this is... guy, he's 18. Sean Penn Hopper is 18, right? He's not a kid. He's, you know, he's 18. He's a kid compared to us. Okay, yeah, well, we're old. But, <laughs> but like he hires like a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old maybe 10 year old i guess to like give this flower to this girl across the street yeah and then she starts walking across the street to the shop that uh that hopper's at with nikki Mm -hmm. and so he panics and puts on like a hat like he works there and jumps behind the counter because the counter person is sleeping I mean, what would you do? We're dead. I mean, it's never really explained why he just doesn't wake up with all this commotion around him. Um, And she asks for a piece of pie and what asks what they have. And he just says uh, brown. And she says, "Okay, I'll take a slice of that. Which Which is a little weird. Why? Why? Why would you? Yeah, that's like that sounds like poop pie to me. Like like somebody just took a dumpy in a in a pie and that's what they're serving like brown pie brown pie like even in the 40s you're not people weren't stupid then well and she's not caddy is this is caddy this is elizabeth elizabeth mcgovern's character she's not dumb she's shown to be intelligent throughout the whole film not always making the best decisions necessarily but she's a smart person right and so uh he starts to cut the pie and realizes he apparently doesn't know how to cut a pie because why would he i mean that's that's a totally advanced skill that not just anybody can do and so he just wraps up a whole pie and gives it to her and she says i only wanted one piece and he's like oh it's on special and she's like okay i get a whole pie on special but i didn't pay anything so that's a really good special yeah and he doesn't seemingly pay for it either so i think he just steals a pie straight out straight out steals a pie and then follows her all the way to her house casual stalking is my next note he hops on the back of the bus and holds on to the back of the bus yeah you can see her in the bus and it's like showing him through the glass super creepy it's so creepy yeah and to nikki's credit i will give nikki this nikki is a come with guy he is there for hopper through and through and he is following that bus in his car (laughs) yeah he is and uh yeah he he's yeah casual stalking is my next note yeah they he just follows her all the way to her house watches her creepily walk up to her house and somehow she doesn't notice like nikki flying up in this car nope and them talking them in the quiet like, talking about yeah. her yeah it's very weird it's all very strange and of course this is when we we learn that she lives in a very nice house yes yes and they call her a gatsby which i think i'm pretty sure is a reference to great gatsby i imagine probably was popular at that time i don't know (laughs) the thing that really gets me is first off they don't know that she lives there yet they know that she went there so physically entering a mansion does not make one rich so they're they're making a lot of assumptions very quickly here about this woman they don't even know her name yet right yeah. And so uh, the next day he goes and it shows him in the morning, his dad grave digging and he's grave digging. Mm-hmm. So I had my next note. So he's a grave digger and a pin setter, which apparently is, is a fact. I don't really know why I made that a note, but <laughs> at the time I found it interesting that he was working both of these random jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so at some point during this day, he goes to the library. I don't remember how he figured out she's at the library. I think he just sees, oh, he, right. He's staring again. So he's, he's plane watching with some binoculars and then he ends up looking at a bus that's driving up and she happens to get off the bus. Because apparently this town only has seven people in it. Yeah. The whole town. And so then he follows her with his binoculars and she goes into the library and because he's stalking her just runs over into the library and grabs the very first book he finds without even bothering to look and see what it was. Right. And so and he introduces himself to her and she knows who he is, I'm guessing from school or something. No, she doesn't know him. So that's the thing. So he tries to introduce himself and she goes, I don't date strangers. 
Because he asks her name. He goes, hey, what's your name? She goes, I don't date strangers. It was her friend that knew him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. And, and he goes, well, I wasn't, I didn't ask you out. I asked you what your name is, you know, or whatever, however it goes, which I, I want to point this out because she goes very, very quickly from, I won't even tell this person my name to sleeping with him in like 48 hours. Well, that's a spoiler, <laughs> Derek. We haven't gotten there yet. My goodness. So, uh, yeah, he he introduced himself to her, and she's very kind of standoffish, rightfully so. Um, but then later, she tells her friend they're at like a soda jerk or whatever it's called, whatever you know, it's yeah. a place that serves soda, and uh, it's the shop where she got the pie. Right, always oh, at the same shop. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and she's talking to her friend, and she tells him about this weird encounter with with henry hopper or whatever is thick and uh the friend's like oh hopper and and uh it's like i couldn't even think he could read yeah he walks in conveniently right at that time and they're like oh we should invite him to this christmas party and it's kind of set up to think that she's going to invite him but in turn it, it, it what it turns out to be is that she's inviting him for her friend which and is so I can't tell if that was really sneaky of her or if she was that naive. Well, also, like, it's not like her friend. They they made it seem like, I don't know, the way the whole movie was set up was that Caddy was like this gorgeous, you know, like this guy wants her so bad. So she's mm-hmm. got to be this most attractive. And this other girl was not unattractive. No. I mean, it was it was trying to set her up as like the ugly friend. Like, we have to get the, get her a date with, you know, somebody. Mm-hmm. kind of thing i don't know that's the way i took it anyway it's very odd but they ask him what he's doing on christmas and he tells them that his dad is fishing mm-hmm. and they believe that so very odd but apparently the christmas party is roller skating mm-hmm. so and he doesn't know how to roller skate but he tells him he does because you can't be you can't look be a man and be inept at something and he's already you, lying to her, so you might as well just keep it going. You have to have every skill to be an actual man in the in the forties. Apparently, there's well, there, there are be only three hobbies. So apparently, stalking is number one. <laughs> stalking, plane watching, and roller skating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he hadn't done number three yet, so he's really only good at two. Um, yeah. So at this point, I wrote, I still have no idea what the plot of this movie is <laughs> because I genuinely and i feel like i made that note for several movies which is scary at this point because i feel like at this point we're like 45 minutes in Mm -hmm. and i still genuinely had no idea what the plot of this movie was and even now i don't think i know what the actual plot was supposed to be i mean i know of things that happened in the movie right right but there wasn't any character growth throughout the movie for anybody really i mean it was anyway yes i didn't i still at this point 45 minutes in or however long it was had no idea what was going on in this movie in terms of like what the overarching story was no it's Um, it's very unclear and to a point i think this is a very good point that you made i don't think anybody grows in any way at all no they're all still the same as they were at the beginning of the movie except now they're with other people well one person is well yeah exactly uh so she so she he's supposed to be here with this other girl but then immediately he goes outside well he he has the traditional accident or whatever at the skating rink where he goes flying out the door because he can't stop himself sure i guess but i mean we've seen it a million times in movies it's you know kind of predictable and so he doesn't know how to skate of course they're going to go flying off somewhere because that's just (laughs) how it works yeah um but yeah he goes outside and she goes out to help him in not not the girl he was supposed to be with, but Caddy, the, the girl that he's obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And my next note is, who is your daddy and what does he do? Because she basically <laughs> says that exact line to him. That's a reference <laughs> That's a reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop, if you aren't familiar. But she basically sa- says, you know, she, he asks her about, or she asks him about the fishing. Mm-hmm. And he says something, like, and she says, like, oh, oh, oh who, who's your father and what does he do? Or something like that. It was, like, almost the exact line from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just thought it was funny. To be um, fair, this was first. So maybe Kindergarten Cop ripped off Racing with true. the Moon. They must have. Yeah. That's the only logical answer. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then my next one is Tank Top Nick Cage, which, I mean, we get a good amount of that in this movie, so I'm not sure why it was so special in this moment, but really it must have just struck me. Maybe his muscles were extra shiny. Maybe he wasn't this... as dirty yet, so you got a better yeah. look. Yeah, you, know? you got the clean, sweaty look. Clean Cage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so then he takes her, I don't remember if it was that night or what, but he takes her to this like abandoned bar that apparently doesn't have a wall. And just like oh. overlooks that cliff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's this old bar that's like run down and apparently it's falling apart because it doesn't have a wall. Mm-hmm. And there's a piano in here that's untouched. And that like still a works, bed, apparently. a creepy bed that's in there. And, you know, you know what this is. This place has got to be like his place. He takes all the women to make love to them or whatever. Well, Nikki, at least. I don't know that Hopper does. but That's true. Who yeah. knows? But, but uh, yeah, then he seductively plays piano with her at this abandoned bar. And they are, like, looking at each other longingly. And she's like, oh, oh, no, I have to go. And then, like, goes over to the ladder, which is probably, like, 100 feet tall. I don't know. They never really show how long it is. <laughs> but she literally has to leave out there in a ladder. Because how else would you have your creepy place? I'm surprised he didn't, like, throw the ladder away so she couldn't get away based on everything else in this movie. I'm sure it was attached, or he would have. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, and at this point, we find out that she works for the, the Gatsby's, the quote-unquote Gatsby's. She, she, her mom works at this house, and so she lives there. We learn that. Hopper doesn't. Right. He doesn't yeah. learn that. We learn that. We didn't know that at this point. We assume she is one of the Gatsby's because that's what we were shown. But, um, yeah, at this point, we learn her mother works there. And, yeah. So then they go on another date and he like takes her on a walk through the woods with a map. I think they had a map. And then there's like a random, so there's supposed to be a tree that points in the right direction with an arrow, but instead the arrow just points up. Yeah. And they blame Nikki for that, but it's unclear if the, if he put the sign on badly or the tree just fell over. Right. Or like maybe the wind, it looked like it was held on by like a single nail. So the wind could just like spin it. Sure, that too. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then they, he's like, I think it's this direction. And he goes out to this pond and they just start swimming in this pond. Like, mm-hmm. I guess people did that in the 40s. That seems like really disgusting to me. You're just going to go into a pond that looks like it's green. Like it's got green crap floating on it. And you're like, let's just swim naked. <laughs> I mean, we live in the Midwest. I'm sure people do that. Maybe. I mean, I'm not going to say I've never swam in a random body of water, but if it was like floating with green crap, I probably wouldn't swim in it or I'd be less likely to. Fair enough. Um, So then we get Sean Penn butt. We do. Because apparently he's skinny dipping and uh, they have to show that running into the pond. And then we get boobs. We do. This is a PG movie, by the way. Uh huh. Because it's pre. Remember, it's pre PG thirteen. This came out the same year as Ghostbusters. Right. So, um, so we get not only Sean Penn butt, but we also get uh, Elizabeth McGovern boobs, mm-hmm. and it's also January it apparently is. at this point in the movie. And, and to, having a, to be a fair, they filmed it. Makeout. They filmed it in winter as well. So this was so legit. everything was very cold. Yes. Take that, however you want to take that. Um, <laughs> But yes, why would they go swimming in a random pond in January in a place that does not look like it's warm in January? He wanted to see some titties, I guess. I don't know. But then oh, they... I mean, he absolutely brought her there to sleep with her. There's no question that he had any other motive at all. Yeah. And he tells her about how his dad used to make maps, mm-hmm. treasure maps, and then hide stuff. And it was just like basically, or at least he thought it was just to give his his father was giving him like locations and interesting like places to go to mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't really care if he found the things that his dad hid there or whatever um which is interesting i actually thought that was a cool mo- a cool part of the movie but they never really expand on that there's like one other scene that references it and that's it the best parts of the movie are like on the edges <laughs> right the, the outskirts of the movie <laughs> so then we get drunk nick cage i don't remember the circumstance in this one it just drunk. says drunk, drunk, drunk Nick Cage. I mean, he drinks drinking, a lot. Yeah, he drinks movie. throughout most of the movie. I mean, I guess we did skip over a few things where Nikki's got this girl that he's trying to take out, right? Oh and, yeah, I kind of left some of that stuff out because it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's fair. I think, but I think it's important to illustrate just like for his case, since you know 
This is a Nick Cage podcast, right? To kind of show the kind of guy he is, right? So he wants to take this girl out. His parent, her parents are not comfortable with that. And to get her to trick her parents, they he pressures Hopper into going with Annie, who is the local prostitute, played by Carol Kane, by the way. So that's a fun little role for carol kane um and she seems like a perfectly lovely person and everything but it's you know it's the 1940s and this is a very conservative buttoned up uh parental couple you know and annie certainly seems to stick out in that time period and it's a very awkward scene and basically at that point after the parents are tricked nikki just kind of shoves hopper and annie out of the car and is like all right see ya and goes and well we'll find out later yeah, uh, well, that wasn't necessarily the uncomfortable part that I was talking about. The, oh. the stuff we find out about yeah. is the uncomfortable part, and we'll have to hit that because I don't know if I have any notes. <laughs> if I don't know if I have any notes about that, it is probably what the plot of the movie is supposed to be. But it's a really weird thing to hinge a whole plot on, especially with that description they have of the movie that doesn't really allude to how dark that is. Well, and it's about the secondary character, like you know, Nikki is not the star; he's the co, right? right? Um, he's the, you know, the, um, you know, whatever, not, you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. He's a secondary character. So this is another scene when they like, there we go. walk on the railroad tracks uh-huh. and he's drunk. Nick, Nikki's drunk. I don't think copper shrunk at this point. Maybe he is. Um, but then we get, at some point we get some like really nice Nick cage abs. Like he was looking sharp back then i mean he was cut and that's this is what i don't understand people were asking about in ghost rider if his abs were cg and we haven't covered ghost rider yet i'm sure we will when we cover the first one but uh you know and i know it came a lot later but clearly this man has experience with conditioning his body and not only that he's a hollywood actor and if you're going to play a superhero chances are they're going to pay for you to have a trainer Mm -hmm. to get you in some sort of superhero shape so i'm those abs in Ghost Rider, I will fight to my dying breath that they were real, and yeah, this this is evidence towards that. I mean, the guy is obviously able to have abs. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves from a physical perspective because he's not he's not the stereotypical like Hollywood hunk, you know. No, but I mean, he was an action star for but, a while. But I would argue that from he was kind of that from an atypical perspective sure his body right? type was not like the traditional action star in that time it's kind of like uh him and uh old jack burton yeah you know they didn't really have like you had arnold schwarzenegger you had and we're kind of going off on a tangent here a but, little bit, but or, right. you got arnold schwarzenegger you had sylvester stallone mm-hmm. you had uh kurt russell who had mm-hmm. a, di- a different body type than those two obviously but those were like the two big ones at the time yeah. kurt russell and nick cage uh they were all you know kind of late 80s early 90s action stars but nick cage definitely had like the the most different body type right and so i think if you look like you know moonstruck dude is in really good shape in moonstruck which is a few years after this well it could happen to you he was still in really good shape and i mean that was early 90s yeah 92 93 something like that right you know in in the trifecta right face off and you know the the rock and con air he's in great shape in con air right but not like like bodybuilder shape i mean we don't really see him with his shirt off so it's hard to say con air you see him in a tank top so i mean it's pretty good he looks good but he's not like arnold no, you know what no, I mean. No. So like Arnold's Mr. Universe, you know, I it's mean, a different, it's yeah. a different look for sure. Is all I'm saying. Compared, so yeah, I think you're right that he doesn't get that credit because he wasn't sly, right? You know, he wasn't Arnie. He, he his whole career wasn't built on his body. But I think the dude knows how to be in good shape. And if you look Agreed. at even now, you know, Pig's not a great example, right? But if you look at him in you know unbearable weight, like he still looks pretty good. Dude looks good. Yeah, and he's not a young young man anymore. No. I mean, but he's so he's maintaining. Yeah, but yeah, we're on a tangent. Yeah. But yes, in Bring this movie, he looks really good. And Derek and I, being child children of the '80s and the Arnold and Sly era, we can appreciate when somebody is in good shape yeah. for sure. And he he is. And this was pre like common steroid usage for actors and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's much harder to get in that kind of shape. But yeah, he looked great in this. Um, and so when when they were walking on this railroad track. 
Uh, I, it felt to me like they were setting up Nikki to get hit by a train doing something stupid. Oh shit! <laughs> I, I and it, thank goodness that didn't happen. But that was what it looked like. It looked like the store. Like at this point, I still hadn't figured out the plot, and I thought the plot was going to be like him losing his friend mm, and right like latching onto off. this girl. Yeah, exactly, and developing this this kinship with this girl, and maybe being obsessed because he needed somebody to latch onto. Something along those lines. That's sort of relationship drama. But that is not what happens. He does not die. So, okay. So here's where we get into the dark stuff because uh, I did have a note about it. Well, but I think, though, this is where the name of the film comes from, is that scene, though. Because they're racing the train, right? And they jump onto the train and they jump off the train. Like, that's the racing, right? Sure. So uh, there's a... What's the moon, then? Wherever the train will take you. Okay. So we got the racing part, at least. But they should just... Clearly, they should have called it racing, but not every time they chase the train is is it at night. So that doesn't no, make just any once. Sense. Um, okay, so while Nick Cage is walking around, Nikki, sorry, while Nikki is walking around uh, with uh, Hopper, he drunk, and Hopper's I think had some drinks too. I don't know that he's quite as drunk as Nikki is, but he reveals that he got this girl pregnant, mm-hmm. and that they want to get an abortion, and it's going to cost one hundred and fifty dollars. Yep. For what he calls a quote clean one. Yes. And the way they treat abortion in this movie is very I mean, granted in the 40s it was like a back alley thing. It wasn't like you go to a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can't do that right now in the United States either, in most states, but um that just makes it a little more like it, it that, that abortion is a common topic in our world right now. Mm-hmm. So this has some relevance. To that but the way they talk about it is very weird and it definitely made me uncomfortable maybe that was the point um i mean what did you think it didn't it didn't really make me uncomfortable per se i didn't really care for how flippant nikki was about the whole maybe thing, that's what it was because the whole focus is on the guys right like we don't even the woman that he takes out i mean i don't even remember her name i don't even remember if she speaks at any point is it sally I think it's Sally. Like, uh, like we don't get to know anything about her. Like the oh yeah, she does tell her tell yeah later when she gets it, she says she doesn't want him in the room. That might be like her only actual line. Um, yeah, it's very weird, you know. So like, I don't really appreciate how the movie frames it. Like, we get very little perspective from women, even the woman directly involved in it, and it's all just about how do we get the money to solve this problem for Nikki. Right, the plot is getting the money so that they yeah. can, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into the political side of it, but essentially remove a fetus from this and, woman, and they have three weeks to do it or something like that. They have, yeah, they have a couple of weeks, um, right? And that, you know, it's like, oh well, lucky for us, Hopper is dating this Gatsby girl that we think is rich, right? And you feel like at this point that eventually she's gonna, he's going to ask her, but he's avoiding it, right? Um, but just for reference, $150, which is what they said that this abortion would cost back then in 1942 is equivalent to $2,872 today. Hmm. So take that for whatever it's worth. Inflation and these are, these fish. guys are supposed to be, you know, pretty poor, right? Hopper doesn't have a car. They both work at that bowling alley, right? Nick, Nikki doesn't own the car. It's his dad's car. Right. And they're both about to right. go off to war. So they don't they don't really have any money. Yeah. So. And I don't really remember the context of this next note. Next note. I remember the scene. OK. Because it was delightful. But in a sea of of just depressing movie, we get a Nick Cage dance scene. He's singing. He's singing with a broomstick like or a bop or something. He's like singing some song. And using the mop as like a microphone. And then he just starts dancing. I don't remember that scene. How do you not remember the scene? It's the cagiest scene in the entire movie. I, I Maybe because it just seems so disconnected from the rest of the film. It is absolutely disconnected from the rest <laughs> of the film. But he starts doing this ridiculous dance that isn't really anything. I don't know what it was, but it was delightful. And yeah. Hmm. We don't get a lot of caginess in this movie, but that scene was definitely very cagey. Huh. 
I don't know how you missed it or how you can't remember it because I don't remember much about this movie, but I remember that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the most memorable movie that we've yeah, watched. Yeah, that's fair. But that was a memorable scene in an otherwise unremarkable film. Fair. Um, so then uh, they're doing like a a war drill or something at the school. <laughs> God, that seems so dumb. Where they're like, they have like fake nurses. Like the students are nurses, pretending no, to be nurses. The nurse knows. So the nurses are in training. The the patients are pretending to be injured. That's those, right. That's what those are supposed to be like nurses in training. Okay. Yeah. So they're trying to train these nurses that are going to go off to the war. Assumedly, I don't really know. But uh, yeah. So they're so Nikki and uh, Hopper are playing victims, mm-hmm. and so they're covered in blood and whatever else. And so they they at some point just decide that they're not going to do this anymore and get up and go and like jack the record player which is playing like war sounds essentially <laughs> like alarms yeah. and bombs going off and things like that and they start playing some like jazz number or mm-hmm. something and running away and giggling and then they and- cut to everybody's just up dancing yeah and then there's like just this random dance scene it's like a like just uh it's a flash mob in 1942. But I think, yeah. think it's important to point out. So at this point, they're trying to figure out if they can come up with the money for this abortion. And meanwhile, he's like hitting on all of these nurses. He's grabbing at them. He's making passes at them and stuff. So like we've gotten to a point now where he, he goes out with this girl whose parents are overprotective. He gets her pregnant, has no interest in being a part of her life in any way at all, has completely written her off and is already chasing other women within like a week. Not even. Yeah. So with that random Nick Cage dance scene that I was talking about, I was actually wrong. The, the scene I'm referencing when I had random dance scene in my notes was all those students getting up and dancing uh, who just seconds before were pretending to be victims. Yeah, it makes um, no sense. So then he, while he's still in all this makeup and stuff, he runs to the library because he has to... <laughs> Hopper does, play, yeah. Hopper does. He has to play a joke on Caddy and he like makes her think that he's really hurt and then he starts laughing. She, she does not find that funny. She doesn't find it funny. She gets pissed off. And so she takes a bunch of books and says, come with me. And they go to this uh, hospital. Mm-hmm. It's like a field hospital, but but there's no war happening in this town. So I'm not sure what's going on. But there's a bunch of like people that have been injured, like assumedly in the war. I think these are guys who have come back. Okay. They were, but they, they were injured. They seem They've pretty freshly wounded, but yeah. Um, so then he's like talking, she's like walking around, handing books to people, talking, being very friendly, very personable. Uh, she was pretty likable in this movie, actually. But she, yeah, she in this scene was really good. She was talking to all these uh guys that had just come back from the war, and he feels very uncomfortable here. And he brings a book over to Michael Madsen, which was a nice cameo. Well, I don't know if it's a cameo because I don't think he was really popular at this point. Um, you'd know him from Kill Bill and some other Quentin Tarantino movies. Um, but uh, he lost a leg in the war, and you kind of get the implication that uh, Caddy was trying to make him see what would, could happen to him in the war and make it a little more real so that because he, he was so flippant and joking about like getting injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and she cares about him at this point. They had sex on the side of a dirty pond after skinny dipping there so they're really into it at this point that's right um so yeah we get another yet another railroad track scene well he gets upset with her and like runs out Mm -hmm. abandons her and then we get him walking on railroad tracks again and this is where i started to go okay there's gotta be something with these railroad tracks because I mean, they keep just showing like them. Basic metaphor of like this, like that they they take you places, you know, they're like destination, you know, they take you to destinations and he's on the journey of life kind of nonsense. So I think so. <laughs> I think I went a little different direction with it than you did. I think that uh that the track symbol is supposed to symbolize different branching paths in life because at, in the earlier scenes when it's shown on a railroad track, there's just one track. At this point, where where he runs out from this girl uh, that had just pissed him off, there's multiple tracks. They all converge. Mm. It's like one of those switching things. Mm-hmm. And Good so I, I feel like the symbolism there was just that 
you know, he has a choice now of which path he's going to follow. That's clever. Very nice. Um, but maybe that's not it. Maybe they just fucking like the railroad, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to find something deeper in a movie that <laughs> I don't know is about anything deeper. It's just supposed to be depressing. Um, so then we get Nick Cage singing a song called Tangerine mm-hmm. into a mop or broom. I can't remember something along those lines and dancing. In the bowling alley, after hours, they're cleaning up. I'm pretty sure that uh, Hopper is there as well. Uh-huh. And it's just this really out-of-place scene. I'm glad it's in there. Don't get me wrong. The dance that Nick Kish does is worth it. But it was just a really weird scene. Yeah. Maybe the most likable we've seen Nick Cage in this movie to this point. But, well, because uh, like, he's charismatic, right? It's how he's able to like get women and stuff like that. Right, right? clearly. But so he can be very likable. He can be a nice guy. Great hair in this movie, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. His hair looked really good. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm well, I do. I feel like I comment on his hair a lot in this podcast, but it's an important part of his character. Well, what um, was he like 20 when this came out? Let's see. Yeah, he was young. I forget. He looked he very young. And so, yeah, my next note was WTF was that dance. <laughs> Because it's literally yeah. like a super weird dance. It's not a real dance that's ever happened. It's just him like doing something with his body that I don't even know if he knew what he was doing. Knew what he was doing at that point. But just improvising. It was great. I loved it. Um, so the next scene we, no, the next scene we have notated. I'm sure we saw some other scenes in there, but uh, Hopper and uh, Caddy are like going shopping, or like on a, they're they're hanging out together and they go shopping and they see the shoe store. And they see she sees some shoes in the window, and she like starts freaking out about how beautiful they are. But honestly, those shoes were really, really stupid and like ugly looking, in my opinion. Now, maybe in the forties they were in fashion. These look dumb as hell. Like man, back in the forties, all you had were chucks. I, I maybe that's true. I'm not. I wasn't <laughs> alive then, so who knows? But I'm assuming that's not true. But uh, yeah, the, these shoes were not good looking. Did you like those shoes, Derek? I had no real opinion. The they were like blue, but they're a major point in this movie. I mean, they, she, they spend a lot of time about talking about these shoes. She liked them. They made her happy. Like, I only really care about shoes if I have to wear them. Otherwise, they were like you know, shiny were... metallic blue. Yeah. Very fancy. Like a split were... up the middle. It was very weird design. They were 25 whole dollars. They were. And they talked to the cobbler and he's like, what a great deal, right? And they're like, uh, okay, we'll be back later. I wish I could buy some shoes for $25. Yeah, yeah. Here, I've still got my calculator pulled up. Let's see what $25 is. I'm curious. I am actually curious because I, you know, shoes today. $478.70. Oh, well, by that logic, shoes today are a steal. I don't know. I pay sixty dollars for my shoes, and I buy the same pair every time. So well, that's what I'm saying, right? So, like, oh that's, yeah, yeah, that's a lot cheaper than four hundred. But, but <laughs> I mean, as somebody who sells handmade things, handmade stuff is more expensive, and you can't yeah. just go into a cobbler shop nowadays and get custom made shoes. That's not where you get your shoes. Not generally, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, this these were hand like handmade yeah. shoes, and obviously it's going to be more expensive. But yeah, th- this is where you start to see the cracks in the story for Hopper that maybe she's not this rich person because um, she when he says twenty five dollars and she just walks out, uh, he's like, "Well, why didn't you buy those shoes?" And she's like, "Well, they were twenty five dollars." And he's you like, "Can't buy so? everything you want." Yeah, it, it's like this whole thing about how he still thinks she's rich. And is this the scene where they where they come out and say it? No. No. Because no. they still have to do the pool hustling. Yep. And so Nikki's next plan is to try and hustle some infantry men of Navy. some branch Navy, Navy. Some Navy man out of out of my pool money. Well, it turns out, big surprise, you couldn't have seen this coming, that the Navy guys were also hustlers. And uh could easily be you know it was it was a close competition but uh it was not a problem for them to beat uh beat the our two heroes if you want to call them that it was a very um, long pool montage i'll say yes. that so i have my next note well i had pool hustling and i said when are they going to ask gatsby for dollars because i assumed that was coming and then i said is this a pool movie now <laughs> because <laughs> we literally spent hard. 20 minutes watching this pool game 
because it takes forever like first to a hundred i'm like why why a hundred and we see like every single point up to a hundred so it takes forever yes um and then of course after this happens he shows up late to his own birthday party who where caddy was waiting because caddy had been invited to his birthday party and this is when it all comes out nikki is angry right because they didn't get their money they almost got beat up by these guys Right. right. They and did lose like $8 or something because yeah, they threw a lot bucks. of money, but it was mostly fake. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm curious where they got all the fake money in 1942. It's not like it wasn't Monopoly money. So I'm just curious. That's true. Um, but yeah, Nikki's all mad that Hopper won't just out and ask her. And so the two of them are alone on the patio and he, he he's like, I need this money. Show. Yeah. I need this money. Um, you know, for a, a for an abortion, Nikki got this girl pregnant, blah blah blah, and she, bless her heart, says she'll see what she can do. She doesn't want to give away that she's not rich to this guy who thinks she's rich, and she starts having kind of an existential crisis of like, you know, does he only like me because I have because he thinks I have money and you know anything else you would expect in this kind of circumstance. Um, except that like there's a timer on everything because these guys are going off to war in like a couple of weeks right you know so like at this point like tell him you're not rich who cares he's gonna be gone in two weeks right um so i don't have notes on this part but it is important because it's kind of the wrapping of whatever plot is in this movie or whatever story is a part of this movie, which is not part of a plot necessarily. (laughs) Um, So she decides that the best option is to try and steal this pearl necklace from the Gatsby house that her mom works at. Right. So she, her her mother and her live in this house. Her mother's the maid, right? And she's become really friendly with the daughter of the parents who own the place. And they kind of act like friends and she's really nice. Like they do treat them well and everything like, yeah, they buy them clothes and things mm -hmm. like that as gifts. It certainly seems like they're nice people, right. Who are just using their money. Um, But yeah, so Caddy's going to steal this pearl necklace that we see earlier in the movie. Yeah. And she gets caught by the person she's the friends with friend Mm -hmm. with and they have this whole like she starts crying getting emotional telling her about this boy and does he only like her because she has he thinks she has money and she says we'll get you the money and so man i would have loved to see that conversation how did she get 150 bucks because i mean even back then rich or not 150 bucks is a lot of money in 1942 so where where did she get that did she ask her parents for it what was the story she i want to see that I don't know, but they give her the friend, money, right? Like she was being a good friend. He give her, they give her the money, and my next note is Nikki ruins everything around him. Yes, and then uh, this got real dark because then we get a dark scene driving to the abortion place, which is a trailer. Mm-hmm. It's a trailer um, park. Yeah. Talking about how uh, they got to get the, oh, this won't take very long. Nikki says so. The girl goes in. And nobody else goes in with her. And, th- and then Caddy's like, go in with her. And she said, and she had said to Nikki that she doesn't want Nikki in there. Right. So Caddy goes in with her and watches this girl get, uh, have this abortion procedure. And while they're outside, uh, Nikki's like, uh, I guess this doesn't take very long because they have another appointment at 11. This seems like really good money. Yeah, right. On, like, the pop fiscal. or whatever. Yeah, he seems like he's really concerned about the fiscal, uh, you know, things going on with this place and how much money could be had. He's by just doing so flipping this. about the whole thing. He just seems he seems un- completely unconcerned. Right. And so she comes out crying, obviously traumatized, and they are all driving back in relative silence, but drinking and driving, which, you know, is really great. There's a lot of that in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, they, I think they drop the girl off at her house. Mm-hmm. Caddy and, and Hopper help walk her in. Nikki doesn't even leave the car. Yeah, he stays in the car. Um, and they go back to the car and they get in a fight. Nikki, or not Nikki, uh, Hopper and Caddy kind of get into an argument. And she says to pull the car over. And Caddy just starts walking away in the darkness and uh hopper gets kind of abusive at this point he's like grabbing her she's uh-huh. trying to walk away and he keeps grabbing her 
And he's like, you know, um, I'm talking to you. And like, he's very aggressive, very like demanding and like completely like, it's almost a completely different personality. Yes. Than what we've seen throughout the rest of the movie. It's messed up. And keep in mind, there's only like 10 minutes left in the movie at this point. Yeah. And so, uh, I my next note is again what is the plot of this movie because I still is the whole plot getting in a, like trying to have a, a bunch of shenanigans trying to get money for an abortion because that's a fucked up plot I mean, it, to me it just seems like a series of events that happen over six weeks that's the plot of the movie with no yeah real character growth or anything like that um, so then we are you're getting to get the resolution of course so that they can end up happy together forever and we get he he makes her a treasure map, like before he's about to be recruited or be uh, enlisted, and so uh, the treasure map leads to the shoes, which are like buried in a box underneath a tree or something like that. And when she goes to pick up the shoes, he's sitting around the corner, and they apologize to each other, which I don't know what she was apologizing for, but they kind of like make up, and. The next scene shows them at the train, Nikki and Hopper at the train. Uh, like, well, there is the scene where Hopper does go see Nikki at the bowling alley, and the two of them make up because they have right, a big blowout. Because they fight had a too. blowout too, yeah. And the, yeah. so they go and make up, and then they're gonna go leave on a leave to go to the military together. And everybody's like, "Oh, you, there's like a sad goodbye. Like, oh, take care of yourself. You know, the this girl who's in love with with Hopper apparently now." Um, is you know really worried, and so they're like, "You better get on the train. It's about to leave." And there's like six warnings about this train about to leave, and instead they're all just standing there, and the train takes off, and then we get a look between Nikki and Hopper, and then they just start chasing the train because that's like a reference to something earlier in the movie, which doesn't yeah. really have any significance. None. So, other yeah. than they can catch the train, good for them. Yeah. And my last note was, "What if they didn't catch the train?" um but they'd be in legal trouble yeah but they do because (laughs) that's the happy ending of the movie is them going off the military to die in the war i guess i mean we we, that's the thing right we have no idea what happens to them so well we know how that war went and a a lot of people died yes so i mean and probably a lot of marines yeah died so i feel like it's likely that if they came back that they were not only traumatized and PTSD, but they probably could have been missing limbs. Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's just not a happy ending. But like to your point movie. though, right? Like we, we don't even get any of that wrap up really. They just right. go. The and movie starts that they got six weeks to go and then the movie ends and they go. And yeah. everything that happens in the middle seems to have zero impact on any, but on, on, on any of the main characters. The only person truly impacted is Sally and we don't really get to know her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's. Yeah, I don't have much nice to say, many nice things to say about this movie. I don't know how you watched it twice. I I would say that I was less bored during this movie than Cotton Club, but probably only because of how fucked up it was. And the fact that I was just like in shock that they would make this movie, even in 1984, like what who financed this and thought it would be a good movie and a successful movie. I think that's fair. I mean, the truth is I, I watched it by accident like four or five months ago and I didn't think I remembered it well enough to, you know, be able to talk about it well for an hour. So I just, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, but it's, yeah. It was my fault for mistakenly watching it the first time. I didn't want, you know, didn't want the conversation to suffer because of that. I'm um, guessing that they, uh, that they made this movie because Sean Penn was tied to it. I mean, that was a the- big part of it. Yeah. At this point, that he'd been in a, a good amount of movies and was a, a little bit of a hot commodity. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. whereas Nick Cage wasn't really at this point. Um, that's the only thing I can think of as to why maybe he they made this movie, but I don't know. Even that seems like a stretch because you can't just say, well, maybe in the '80s you could say, well, we got this guy attached, you know, and the movie looks like crap. Let's do it. You know. They had yeah. to like read the script at some point or a synopsis. Of course, if the synopsis they gave was, uh, was in 1942 California, two young men await induction into the U.S. Marines and say goodbye to their girlfriends, then I guess maybe that was a little bit easier to 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 pitch than you know the whole abortion storyline. Yeah, I, it, it is kind of strange. 
I don't really have a great explanation for any of that at all, really. Supposedly, according to some of the notes and stuff, you know, Sean Penn and, and um, McGovern were just super into the movie. They were really sold on the premise and, and all that jazz. And so maybe it sounded better on paper. I don't know how that could even sound good on paper, but you know what? The fact is it got made regardless. And here we are today reviewing it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. Uh, a couple interesting notes. Um, Sean Penn and Elizabeth McGovern actually uh, got engaged after this movie. They met on this movie and ended up having a relationship together that you know didn't last, but that that's the thing. And Dana Carvey is in this movie and I've looked for her both times and I can't figure out who he is, but he is in this movie. <laughs> nice. I um, did see his name in the credits and I was, I, I'm thinking it's gotta be a different Dana Carvey. No, it's Dana Carvey. I looked it up. Okay. Yeah, it is Dana Carvey. Um, but I'm his, he plays a character named uh, Babyface, and I'm not sure who that is. But yeah, I don't know either. You know, for all I know, it's one of the the Navy guys or something like one of the guys that was sitting back at the bar that we didn't get Could a good be. look at. I don't know. But there you go. So a couple little interesting tidbits there. But yeah, that's the movie. So now we got to rate it. So for those who are new to the show, we rate our movies on two different scales, quality and caginess, zero through 20 on both because we have a lot of movies to cover and zero is low. 20 is high. Ryan, let's mix things up here a little bit. Let's start with caginess. We usually start with quality. Let's start with caginess. Where would you rate this movie on caginess? I mean, low. Um, it had like the one scene that was cagey. I, I honestly feel like these early movies, Cage Nick Nick at Cage hadn't really figured out like what he liked about acting. I mean, he knew he liked acting, but he hadn't really, or maybe he just wasn't a big enough name to make like big bold choices like he did in a lot of movies that got him famous. Mm-hmm. So the caginess is low. In this movie, I would say like that one dance scene is probably the only KG part. And it was I clearly couldn't have been that KG because you don't even remember it. Yeah, I don't And I you've don't. watched it twice. I so I want to make sure I keep bringing that to that point up. Um <laughs> so probably like a four. Oh, a four. Okay. Okay. Is it was very low. I mean, there's other movies that we reviewed, like Joe, for example, that are basically no caginess and i want it to be higher than those movies because that dance scene was pretty great but it's still not enough to really sell me on the movie i would say just like youtube that one scene if you're really interested that's fair well i was gonna give it a three okay so we're close so yeah we're we're right there all right so now we got quality so i'll go first on quality i guess um i mean it's not very good it it's kind of well acted i guess um, it's not particularly interesting from a cinematography standpoint or any other technical standpoint. So like, it's really hard for me to give this. I mean, any... it was a period piece and it was believably a period piece. They did a good job with that. That's true. That's, that's, a, that's a technical point. And I, and like, yeah. to your point, I did think the acting was fine. I mean, everybody in there was pretty good. I didn't have anything. that was like, this actor did a really bad job. Yeah. I mean, no, that's that's fair. I mean, it certainly looks like the 1940s. The most interesting parts about it are the fact that it's the 1940s, like the bowling alley and the soda shop. Some of the stuff on the cemetery was kind of interesting. The things I didn't really know, like when the ground is too cold, they put like burning coals over where the plot would be to help them dig. That was interesting. Um, like things like that were the more interesting parts of the movie for me. Sure. Um, so I think, I think I'm going to give it I think I'm going to give it a six. What did I give Cotton Club? Maybe a seven. I'm going to give it a seven. You gave Cotton Club an eight. I gave it also an eight. So I'm giving this a seven. Well, I mean, I'd I'd rather rewatch this than Cotton Club, but even despite all the dark storylines and stuff, I mean, Cotton Club was fine. It was just really boring for me. I'm not into that type of movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So that one was tough for me to get through. I'm probably going to put it the same as I did Cotton Club. An eight. Well, what did you give it? I gave it a seven. Yeah, I would say I'm probably right on there with you. I mean, I don't think it was as good, like as well made of a movie as Cotton Club was. But I would rather watch this movie than Cotton Club because at least I wasn't bored during this movie. 
Yeah, so I, mean, a, I think that's I'd give fair. it a seven. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna put it a seven also. I mean, I think that's fair. Like we get we gave Cotton Club an eight, and like we gave next, you gave it a six, and I gave it a seven. I'd rather watch next than Cotton Club. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's a lot of movies that we yeah, rated yeah. lower, even like Joe and some of those. I'd probably watch before I watch Cotton Club again. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah. I think we I mean Joe, Joe we rated pretty high from a quality standpoint. Well, it was it was but, a, a well-made and, and good yeah. movie. I just it's just yeah. not cagey. Right. But all right. Well, so that gives us a seven on overall quality and a three and a half on caginess. And so the last bit of business is we have to find out what Nicolas Cage movie is going to join our wheel and replace Racing with the Moon. And that movie is Kill Chain. So Kill Chain is going to join the wheel. So if you want to find out what Nicolas Cage movie we're talking about next time on the show, go to comingofcage.com or follow us at Coming of Cage to find the Wheel O Cage spin for episode 23 of the show. Ryan, anything else for Racing with the Moon? I'm glad we're done with it. I am too. I hope to never have to watch it a third time. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks for uh, tuning in. I'm Derek. That was Ryan. We're the Coming of Cage podcast. We will be back in two weeks. See you then. See you.